First, there was nothing. Whether you are a student of science, philosophy, or religion, there is at least one thing that most people can agree on. That if you follow the timeline of the universe back to the very beginning of creation, you reach a moment where for an indeterminable amount of time, our entire existence as we know it occupied a single point of potential in an endless void. By the expansion of stars and galaxies that we can witness from our tiny place in the cosmos, we estimate this to be somewhere around 13.8 billion years ago. First, there was nothing, and then, there was something. Picture yourself here, from within the void before it all began, in space without stars, in a blackness so vast with a depth so vivid, you witness the spark of creation that gave rise to it all. Here, we pose to you possibly the most pertinent of all questions. Was this event that began all events one of divinity or necessity? This first mystery lays the foundation for our quest. And while the answers to this question may be as varied as the manifestations of life itself, there is one absolute truth that cannot be denied by any religion, scientific theory, nor school of spiritual thought. That is the fact that we exist, and we are all in this together. Welcome to the Vitruvian Human Podcast. An exploration of body, mind, and Welcome to the Vitruvian Human Podcast, the quest to understand our place in the cosmos both as individuals and as a combined human species, by exploring the body, mind and soul through the vessels of art, science and spirituality. You'll be joined by our two podcast hosts. This is Maylene Joy, for short, May. Mm-hmm. How you doing? Good, thank you. And I'm Chris Ferris. So essentially, the structure of the podcast is we're going to start off uh, with the two of us on this, uh, the beginning of this quest, and we'll be explaining uh, our own place in the cosmos and bringing our own knowledge experience and uh, some stories to the table. Then, as the series continues, we're going to invite a list of really interesting people on, and we're going to explore different themes and, and different backgrounds from people's stories and try to create some thread, some continuum of similarity that we can help to explain this combined human story as a human race. So to start off, uh, once again to introduce, you're a yoga teacher and a holistic counsellor and also a lawyer. Yes, so I've, uh, at the moment, uh, in uh, where I'm at right now is I'm experimenting with uh, the common thread between all three of those and how I can uh, show up fully more as myself in all three areas, really. Uh, That's what it's about for me uh, at the moment, because uh, for the last 10 years I've been practicing as a lawyer and more recently in the last couple of years as a holistic counselor and yoga teacher. So mm-hmm. it's really fun uh, and exciting being able to explore uh, different versions of myself through these roles. And uh, and also it's, it's, it's just 
exciting being able to discover more of myself through these roles, interacting with different people and bringing it all together in the businesses that I have at the moment. It's quite a vast array of different talents. I'm still quite amazed that you can juggle all of those things and still have time to live your own life. Yeah, a a lot of people say that and a lot of people think that I have everything together uh, and that's... (sighs) Uh, And uh, I have to admit, there are times where I feel like I am losing the plot. And uh, that's actually been one of my biggest uh, lessons for myself uh, is to learn and to see the signs of when I need rest. Because one of the biggest lessons I've learned in the last five years uh, is that uh, conscious rest actually makes me more productive and I think that is true for uh, uh, a lot of people actually and I think it's actually part of our nature to uh, like what if we can um, schedule rest into our calendar just like we schedule meetings and social events and so uh, as, as that's, that's been one of the biggest lessons for me uh, in taking on uh, all that I've taken on. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I'm very committed to, conscious rest, which comes up in a lot of the philosophy that I share in, in my yoga classes. And I think the, the opposite end of the spectrum of rest, as you said, is potentially losing one's mind. I think... In my own experience, if you're not losing my, your mind at some point in your life, then you're not actually finding your purpose. Oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Uh, so is that something that you've experienced yeah, yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. And and what was going on when you lost your mind? Wow. Gee, where do I begin? Well, I mean, there have been so many instances where where I could, I could give examples as to occasions where I've been on the edge of losing my mind but I think that it comes back to a theme of pushing yourself to the extent where you can grow and fill out the the vessel that you came to this life in I believe that once you expand you're incapable of retracting back to the person you were before and this gives you an ability to grow and to change and adapt to the environment that you're living in. And if throughout that you happen to be on the edge of where it feels like you are losing your mind, then as long as you come back, then you're probably on the right track. So with yourself having these three different potentially varied yet there is a a common thread within all that because you're from being a yoga teacher to holistic counseling to personal injuries lawyer you are in service to to people in in some capacity and i know that we all are in in some capacity in our lives in when we work in a job or a career but yours seems to be very human-centered very person-centered very story-centered in that you're helping someone along in their journey from one place to another. Mm. So with yourself, what are some of the practices that you use to keep yourself 
congruent along a a path that's still recognizable and not not lending yourself to burnout and also the emotional turmoil that some practitioners can go to experiencing other people's trauma. Mm. So are you asking if I have any particular practices that I resonate with or any kind of spiritual faith that I have to keep me grounded or let's go with practices then we'll move into spiritual faith okay how do you keep yourself sane how do I keep myself sane okay I I I think it's important for me to give context here of a time in my life where I was burning the candle at both ends without realizing and so uh, going back to, oh, if, if we go back probably uh, five years ago where I experienced major burnout or oh, so, some people might call it adrenal fatigue, some people might call it a spiritual awakening, some people might call it a shift in consciousness. Mm-hmm. All I know is that at that time I worked hard and I played harder and I thought I was living the dream. I was working as a lawyer in a city firm. I was going really well in my career. I traveled often. I socialized a lot and nothing ever stopped for me I could go about each day on six hours sleep and one thing I remember looking back is that I was constantly rushing I was spending 10-12 hours at work then I'd rush off to the gym and then I'd rush home I'd rush dinner rush shower rush to bed and then I'd wake up and do it all over again and then on weekends I'd rush around to different social events and I just never stopped Mm. until one day everything just hit me I experienced next level fatigue that uh, even the word fatigue doesn't doesn't do it justice I was so weak I couldn't even eat Mm. I uh, was struggling to stay awake at work. Thank God I was I was in a corner office so I could nap under my desk and no one could see me. Um, I was experiencing vertigo, dizziness, nausea. I think I had lost at least five kilos. Everybody was noticing it and I didn't know what was happening. Mm. And this thing started happening to me where I was shy to go to social events. Uh, Everything became a struggle. Everything, literally overnight. And it probably began about six months of me not knowing what the hell my physical body was experiencing. 
kept going back to my GP. What is going on? Why do I feel this dizziness and this nausea? Uh, Blood tests. I was tested for Ross River fever. I was tested for so many things Mm. to the point where in the end, the GP sent me to, uh, to an ENT surgeon uh because of the dizziness Mm. the vertigo and basically the ent surgeon had a list of symptoms on a piece of paper and the symptoms were dizziness confusion uh, sweaty palms shortness of breath tightness in the throat tightness in the chest and so i've ticked everything off in this list and the ENT surgeon has uh, he's done all of his tests on my ears and uh, all, all of the things ENT surgeons do with walking up and down this line and you know covering I don't know just covering different ears and uh, asking me to repeat certain things and I was just in such a different world that I don't even remember all these different tests. Mm. But at the end of the consultation, the ENT surgeon sat down with me and he said, look, all of the tests I've done with you show that there is actually nothing wrong with you, but everything listed on this form are all symptoms of anxiety. Really? Yep. And here's me as a 29-year-old or 28 at the time, can't remember, 28 or 29, I had, the word anxiety was never even in my vocabulary. I did not even know what it was. Mm. And so the ENT surgeon sent me, he said, look, I'll send you to get an MRI on your brain to make sure there's nothing sinister going on with your brain but you might want to get this anxiety and panic thing looked at. And so the MRI came back normal, which means that I had now developed an anxiety disorder or a panic disorder of some sort, and I didn't know why. And so what that led me to was this was my first experience with seeing a holistic counsellor. Right, okay. And this is what changed my whole life. Because it was when I'm sitting there and it's in this backyard at West End under this beautiful tree in her tent and I'm telling her this story about my life and everything that's happened Mm. and I said to her I feel like I'm losing my mind and she said congratulations (laughs) (laughs) and that for me was the beginning of the big shift in consciousness for me yeah And this holistic counsellor, she took me through a deep, deep spiritual journey back to myself. Mm. And when I say self, I mean the self with a capital S. That was my first encounter with being on the path of 
I mean, everything before then was also on the path, but now I knew I'm on a path of journeying back to who I really am. Mm. And so that was about five, six years ago now. Yeah. And and that was the beginning of, uh, to me, my transformation. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. I like that you say that you had the first experience of being on the path because I think so many of us are not aware that we live in a sliver of reality. We all live in a sliver of reality anyway because, for example, we only see, I think it's 0.0035 of the electromagnetic spectrum, which visible light is actually in. So that's less than, uh, what's that, less than a hundredth or a thousandth of a percent that we can actually see. And then within that, there are some of us that only experience that much of our own potential. And we can go through life thinking that this is all there is. I mean, I still have so much shit to realize myself. Uh, I, I feel like I've, I've had some pretty profound experiences and I know myself pretty well, but I mean, I'm only 35. I've, I've got a, a lot left yet to experience and it's really exciting to to know that there are some days where it feels like things become monotonous and you become complacent with your your tasks that you need to do as rich as my life is I can still get bored and it's important for me to for anyone when this happens to look back on their life to see where they've come from and everything they've gone through to where they are now and if if you can't draw some con- some kind of profound conclusion that you're still here despite everything you've been through then maybe you do need to lose your mind a little bit mm. to get some contrast of what's actually going on mm. I think if it's, as I said before, if it's if you can if you get through it and you survive and it doesn't kill you, then I'm all for experiences that push you to the limit mm. that you can come back from. Because what else is the point of being here? Mm. You know. So it sounds like uh, if if you're all for pushing the limits mm. and. Uh, you know, to even to the point where you feel like you're losing your mind. So, so how do you, what does that look like in a practice for you or what particular schools of thought do you resonate with, with your approach to understanding who you are, what this place is, whatever that may be? Well, I come from a background of a practice of shamanism, which during the development of my earlier years, I was having experiences that were not explained by any book that I could find or any personal relationship that I that I had with anyone could actually explain to me what was going on. I had a life that was full of a lot of physical suffering. I was in, a ho- in, in hospital quite a lot. And I developed a kind of complex that I was 
at least temporarily invulnerable, if not entirely invincible, which put me in this mindset, well, if I've got a physical body that doesn't die, then let's see how far it can actually get pushed. And having grown up where I'm repeatedly exposed to these these physical traumas and then also having the emotional support of my family who would always say, well, you're here for a reason, you know, you're the miracle child, you, you survived all these things, you start to, you know, as a young man, uh, not you, um, in general, it's quite specific, I uh, developed a, yeah, a, a kind of an invulnerability complex and I decided to push myself as far as I could and that was, that manifested in, for a lot of the time, some pretty deep substance dependencies and, and addictions and a lot of them through throughout which I had a lot of psychedelic experiences and within those realms of experiencing which I think has its place if you can glean some wisdom from it and still move on and have a productive life and not get caught in it and just become a drug addict if you can see these experiences for what they are and learn from them I was having experiences that weren't happening to other people that I knew that in in the scene that I that I was in where odd things were happening like strange waves of energy would come over me and and I'd 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 feel certain things in the room I'd even have instances where it felt like I was communicating with spirits uh, you name it there's there's been some some pretty out there experiences everything from what you might um closely relate to you know voodoo type ceremonies to even uh christian demonic possessions and all the way to what i came to realize was shamanic in nature which Mm. is the understanding that everything has an energy form to it Mm. everything is contactable and you can communicate with it on some level everything is alive and there are subtle to us in our sensory experience like the electromagnetic spectrum in the state that we're in we may not be consciously aware of it that all these things are happening it's like the air is full of information at the moment from the phones and the bluetooth and wi-fi and everything like that but we can't see or feel any of it there are waves like that that are naturally occurring that we're not aware of unless you are in certain states and you can reach these states through meditation through near-death experiences through yoga through psychedelics Mm. for me in early on i reached these through psychedelic experiences and these odd things that were happening for me i had no frame of reference for them and no mentors to guide me until i started doing some research and everything that came about closely resembled what shamanism describes so early on up until some time ago that was my reality that's how i viewed the world it's still how i view the world although my approach to it is much more sustainable i don't live in uh in a world where i believe that i need to take substances in order to have actually have a connection i found a connection through meditation through 
simply the connection of being human and the realization that everyone is on some kind of shamanic path. So now my practice is, oh, I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with Joe Dispenza at the moment, Dr. Joe Dispenza. So mm. I've been doing his meditation a lot recently and, and using that to, to manifest new reality and to create a, a connection with the, the divine matrix that we're all a part of and that we all create. Yeah, I see. So what I'm curious about with when you say that essentially the the approach that you had before is not sustainable mm. now, does that mean that psychedelics, mm. for example, uh, or maybe plant medicine in general, are they there to give a glimpse of something or an experience that you then bring back? And is there then something we need to integrate? Because why aren't people just, you know, tripping balls every day type thing? Is it because it's not sustainable? <laughs> like why aren't, you know, you do know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, is it just a, a gateway or a doorway to have a glimpse, come back, then integrate? And then uh, practice and then uh, does that make sense? Yeah, well, I, I think what happens is if you, uh, aside from the fact that it's just uh, the, the laws surrounding certain psychedelics in a lot of different countries is uh, the barrier. If you were to take that away, I think if you lived in a society where people were on psychedelics 24-7, you would have a complete collapse of everything, <laughs> which would be fun for a period of time, but that's essentially what happened in you know when LSD first came out and then you had a new renaissance and the whole fucking thing almost fell apart. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's great, but, I mean, Timothy Leary didn't look like he was having a great time towards <laughs> the end. Um, Who's Timothy Leary? The guy you... Invented? The, no, no, that was no. Um, that was Hoffman who invented it. Timothy Leary, Timothy Leary was one of the advocates of LSD. He was the um, oh. tune in and drop out guy, along, along with uh, I think uh, uh, Ramdas. Ramdas, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, while these substances give you a, a glimpse into a different perspective of reality. Even ayahuasca as well. I mean, from what I understand of the shamans in South America, they do it every night every day that's that's the the world that they live in but that's their role and ayahuasca is probably not as um probably not as physically physically debilitating as as uh, a consistent exposure to lsd would be they they seem to to hold themselves um you know they seem to be more functioning than that so in the the levels that they would need to to glean the experience the the, the wisdom that they get, I mean, mm. so I believe that for the typical person who wants to gain some insight from these experiences, I don't think it's all of our roles or our purpose to to live in that world all the time. Mm. because that's like 
it's kind of like the the substances are if you were to compare it to the the functioning of a computer if you went into the ones and zeros and the the circuitry of the computer then you wouldn't actually experience the purpose of what the computer's doing you're just working on the mechanics all the time so it's like these these uh, different experiences allow you to go into the matrix and kind of tweak things and you know fix the engine up and fix the circuitry up and then once you come out of the experience, you actually go back to life and you take the knowledge that you experienced about the circuitry and apply it practically to your everyday life. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Hmm. And and this is essentially uh, a really, this is something I, I really uh, encourage uh, with any sort of practice, any sort of spiritual practice, which gives us insight into our true nature Mm. or maybe that ultimate reality, whatever that means to a person. Mm. I I always, you know, like like to ask in in my own inquiry and with that of clients as well. So how, how does that look for you as a daily practice? You know, how does this insight that you've had, you know, from this meditation or from this retreat or from this experience where you know you've exp- you've had this uh, amazing insight about uh, our unity and our oneness and, mm. and all that sort of stuff well then how does that look in in your daily life how does that look in your workplace or how does that look in your relationships and this is something i'm really big on is practice 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 and actually Uh, I really like this line that Joe Dispenza says. He says, you want to go from the thinking to the doing to the being. Mm. So it's a process. And I've heard you say the word continuum before. It's it's a continuum. Mm. And I like to also see it as an integration as well. So it's, it's almost like as if, if, if we're, if, if we look, want to look at the model of the chakras, if we're spending a lot of time exploring the nature of our reality, we're going to be spending a lot of time up here, Mm -hmm. but we want to bring the energy down and we want to be grounded as well. How, what practices do you, do you use or do you suggest to your clients about how to do that if someone's up in there? Up in the air all the time. Up in the sky, up mm. in the clouds. Uh, good question. And and this actually is very unique to each person. There's no one size fits all. And this is what I love in the work that I do as a holistic counselor is I get to witness all of uh, the different uh, the different expressions of truth Mm. essentially and so basically every person will be different in how they practice their own insight or truth or knowledge and part of the and this is the the responsibility of each individual is to do that their own inquiry do some practice Uh, for example uh, one person's practice might be uh, how to bring compassion into conversations with their loved ones at home. 
And maybe the practice could be listening more than speaking Mm -hmm. and practicing just listening. But they're not just listening to respond, but listening to understand, listening with every cell in your body, Mm. really listening and to take it even further, take the practice deeper You can listen and refrain from judgment and refrain from evaluating what that person is saying. You can refrain from labeling that person's experience as good or bad or right or wrong. So just in the practice of listening, there's so many different facets Mm. to explore And so what uh, I've really found to be uh, very true in my holistic counseling practice is that it doesn't work if I just prescribe a practice. Here, do this and see what comes up. The practice has to be catered to that individual. It's helpful once we do that inquiry. What's going on in there? What's, What's the problem? How can we deconstruct it? Mm. And then for that person to come up with their own practice, depending on where they're at, I might help them and suggest things, but at the end of the day, it's got to be the individual because they are essentially responsible for their own journey. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. It's like you're, you're tailoring your your prescription of practice to each person yeah and i always say to my clients as well look i'll suggest this because this might work for you uh but you know as as bruce lee advocates take what feels good leave the rest Mm. you know Mm. and and i always invite my clients add your own flavor to this if it doesn't feel right don't do it tweak it Do what you need to do to make it work for you. Mm. And how are we going to know until you try it and you practice it? Yeah. However, I do think it's also necessary for us as individuals to discern when, you know how when you say, oh, that doesn't feel right, so I'm not going to do it. Or this feels good, so I am going to do this. Mm. How do you know that that feeling doesn't come from a mental conditioning? Mm -hmm. Or is that feeling from your intuition? Mm. How do you differentiate between the two? So is that something that you've come across or, you know, is... Um, In my... You mean the the differentiating between how what a, a feeling actually is, depending on it whether it's uh, conditioning or something that. Yeah, I mean, how do you know when you're acting on an impulse that you know is your intuition, or maybe is something that you know you need to follow that feeling, and there is no doubt about it. You might be trembling at the knees and scared as shit, but you know, I've got to follow this feeling. Uh, I get a sensation in my chest that I've come to realize, and it's only really just been recently, that 
what I thought was resistance to a certain situation. So there had been, uh, I kind of taken a, a different approach to my reality in the last um, kind of turn turn of the year, the beginning of 2020, or a bit before that, where after realizing that this resistance I was feeling, so certain situations would come up or opportunities and I would feel this resistance in my, my chest and in the in the heart region and reluctant, reluctantly I call it the heart space. Why? I don't know, I just, <laughs> just can't, it just doesn't deal with me. Anyway, the area of your body where your heart is. The anatomical heart. Yes. Yes. Um or the, the chakra or whatever you'd like to call it, this, like, this region. Just that space. Yeah, the, the cardiovascular center. <laughs> I get, I'm like, I as I said before, I, I believe things so uh, esoteric that some people might think I'm fucking batshit crazy, but there's just some things that I have difficulty with, like the term heart space. Yeah, okay. Um, but that's just me. So, but interestingly though, I get that resistant feeling when I say heart space. So maybe that's actually me. I should actually embrace it more. Yeah, just say it. Yeah. So anyway, the region where I uh, have a heart, I get this sensation of resistance where I would be presented with certain opportunities. And I always thought that that was my intuition or my body saying you should not do that thing. Turns out it's the exact opposite. The resistance is coming to tell me if you keep resisting, if you keep not doing this thing, or if you keep acting like this, your heart will keep closing up. And the the sensation, the field, the the region where the, the energy center or the chakra or the, the heart is, because as, as Joe Dispenza says, as, as many other people uh, are coming to realize now, Greg Braden uh, and the greats that talk about this new ethereal type of medicine which is lining up quite succinctly with science is that we feel with our heart we think with our brain and we feel with our heart there are nerves in your heart that it's it's a a brain essentially and knowing now that these sensations that i had been getting were actually a an indicator that once i feel that resistance i should actually be doing it and then when I embrace it and accept that this is what I should be doing, the resistance melts away and I feel what some might refer to as an opening of the heart space. <laughs> Do you have resistance while you say that? I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm feeling better about it. But essentially, it's like a tingly feeling, an open an open feeling, uh, which um, it, it's something that I'm using now as an antenna as an indicator as a as a compass to work with and it's things are becoming a lot clearer and a lot easier to navigate in life because i can listen more acutely to this sensation oh wow i i just think that is such an amazing ally to have yeah, it's pretty powerful now that i mean it's only taken me 35 years to realize it yeah but um the last month has been amazing and and this is this is I find this stuff so intriguing because I I wonder what each person's inner compass looks like and feels like. And I love that. Hmm. And, and 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 I guess this is why because I'm just so fascinated with 
each person's experience and each person's expression of truth. I, I think this is why I'm very liberal in my my own practice and spiritual approach. Mm. I'm not sure if I completely answered your question before, but um, oh, we're on to, a continuum. Of yeah, we are still answering that question. <laughs> um, uh, but <laughs> basically, to uh, answer the question properly, the the I'm, I'm I'm very liberal in my spiritual practice, as in I I don't uh, just follow a- anyone. Well, actually, That's... we didn't even get onto that question yet. We oh, just finished. It. You... We finished okay. practices, practices. Now we're onto spiritual practices oh, and, and potentially right. faith. If you want to go there. Okay. Yep. Well, uh, shall we continue? Let's do it on that continuum. Let's do it. Okay. We're here now. Yes. All right. So, uh, es- essentially, I am. You know, anything that's based on love and freedom and truth-seeking, I'm all for it. And But I, I have to say that the path that I resonate with the most is Tantra. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make it clear that Tantra does not mean sex. Uh, there are different schools of Tantra and uh, not every school of tantra will incorporate sex rituals Mm -hmm. even in those lineages of tantra that do have sex rituals not all practitioners within that lineage so the the the, the part that probably a lot of at least the west is aware of or where sex is synonymous with tantra is just one offshoot of it it's just one Mm. aspect of Tantra, and I'm not even sure which lineages of Tantra. I think I remember that the Kapalikas was one, you know, the the practitioners who walk around with the skulls, the they they drink from human skulls and they do rituals and cemeteries and things like that. Not that, personally, but not. I'd like to know one. <laughs> Can well, we find someone to bring on here and talk to them? I could be wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> That'd be great if we could. Bring your skull. If anyone knows a Kapalika practitioner, please let us know. Uh, So uh, my understanding is that the Kapalikas uh, incorporate sex rituals into their practices, but the sex rituals is part of an an entire, you know, practice of different rituals that, you know, that incorporate a lot of um, different elements so I won't go in I won't go into that because I really don't know a lot about uh, the sexual practices of Tantra. Mm. Uh, for me, my so my understanding through my own practice of Tantra is uh, so Tantra for me uh, means a thread. So I think of an interweaving mm-hmm. and for me essentially, it, it means that it's uh, it's it's all encompassing. There there is nothing that is separate mm-hmm. in my spiritual practice, and uh, I actually just finished a course because I've been on the tantric path the last few years uh, with uh, embodiment practices. I really felt the urge to uh, understand tantra intellectually so i just uh 
did this amazing course with Dr. Kavitha Chinayan. Mm. And the what I took from that course, the word Tantra, so Tan alludes to expansion and Tra alludes to protection. Mm-hmm. And I love the way Dr. Kavitha puts this. I would love to share it. Yeah, please. So the way she explains that is tantra is a system of philosophy and practice that expands on the nature of reality and in doing so it protects us from suffering that occurs in being stuck in limited identification of the ego Mm. boom yeah and when we talk about the ego Obviously, it, it's not about, you know, the overinflated pride or, yeah. or the arrogance. It's about personhood. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that which makes us an individual drop in, in the uh, entirety of the ocean. It separates us. Yes. From the, from the collective. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's really quite profound. I like that it's stated as a philosophy because there are... I don't think that philosophical constructs potentially are given enough enough support in that they they can be an entire structure for the way you view reality and it doesn't have to actually be based in any scientific evidence in that you know that there have been trials done on it mm. it's a a way of at least from what you've explained about tantra, that what you've exp- um, from what I've heard you uh, tell me about, is that it's an observation of of how a particular tradition of uh, culture of humans have experienced reality, and it's their way of understanding reality through these philosophical constructs. And as Dr. Kavitha says helps to lift the weight of suffering by understanding this philosophical uh, through this philosophical lens of our world. Mm. And if it does that, then that's an amazing thing. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and that's part of the reason why I resonate with Tantra so much because nothing is out of bounds in a spiritual practice mm. with Tantra. So everything is a portal to awakening. Mm. Everything. Mm-hmm. An illness. Uh, an argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, difficult family dynamics. A job. Yeah. They're all portals to awakening. Yeah. And this is why I really resonate with the tantric path because... It is essentially about no having no limits, going past conditionings and being able to experience freedom now mm. and, and being able to live a life of freedom now. It's not something we have to attain but we can experience it now and using everything mm. as a portal to awakening. Every 
experience. And so that, that really is the part that I resonate with the most. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's like every, every moment has the potential to be an awakening for the next. And there are what some may experience as grand awakenings, like the one that you seem to experience five years ago when you went through quite a, a large shift and the lifestyle that you were living actually became the catalyst for a, a large awakening. So it's it's like you needed the awakening to get out of that lifestyle, but you wouldn't have had the awakening if not for it. Mm. It's the the thing that sets you on the path of destruction is actually the very thing that liberates you from that life. Mm. It becomes the singularity and they become the same thing whereas they're the entire opposite at the same time mm. and like you said that becomes a gateway or a portal to the next experience of reality mm. but every moment that we're experiencing is also an awakening for the next and each one is just a an instance in time that we're moving through the, to create this illusion that we're moving through time to abstract Mm, I th I think for me that that might be. I just I really want to ask you how that looks in a daily practice. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I don't I don't know yet. I haven't figured that out, but that's what I'm exploring at the moment. I'm this experience of I suppose you can call it spiritual. I mean, if 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 you were to take a really abstract look at this reality and you broke it all all down and you took away the logic of uh, of human experience and words, we're just a bunch of shapes and colors moving around making sounds and nothing actually means anything until you apply meaning to it. So once you can establish that that nothing really has any meaning, then everything has meaning. Every instant has a purpose every experience like you said is a portal to something else and everything that I've learned from the experience that I had with psychedelics and, and that interesting part of life and now exploring that same avenue well aiming for the same place through a different avenue which is meditation and delving deeply into the constructs of my own mind to kind of discern some type of explanation for how this reality works. I'm coming up with some ways to to help understand it better. And my I suppose my viewpoint is somewhere between some kind of uh psychonaut a retired psychonaut to uh, someone that has a deep interest in the ideas of astrophysics and theoretical physics but has no idea how to actually do any of the mathematics and a an a, a amalgamation of these thinkings about our reality to create some kind of um, form explanation of what's going on. So essentially I believe that we are all hologra holographic projections from some other reality that is beyond the confines of this one that we can see and that we project ourselves into it as a way of creating a learning environment for souls to experience 
this collective mind that we all are as separate individuals and to learn from each other, to experience one another. But at the end of the day, that when you and I sit here across from one another, we're actually the same consciousness experiencing itself in different bodies. So, if you're a holographic projection, yes, then what is this? You because you're matter, mm-hmm. like you're here. Mm-hmm. So, are you real? I'm real as far as this reality goes, yes. Okay. But matter is all made up of a vibration where mm. 99 to the hell, however many uh, degrees after that percent is not there. Mm. We have the illusion of solidity because of a, a vibration moving at a certain speed. Mm. And so what I want to know is, do, do your beliefs... Uh, do, do your beliefs describe a reality of order or chaos or a mixture of the two or? I would say a mixture of the two. I think to, to describe this reality as completely ordered means there's no room for spontaneity. So to say that it is also chaotic means that things are all accidental and we're only here because instances that followed a sequence of order that happened by accident, which I also don't believe. I believe it sits somewhere in the middle, just like I believe that the answers to everything are somewhere between the schools of thought of science and spirituality neither have mm. all of the answers it's not possible mm. it's like to say one culture has all of the answers to something whereas we're all here on the same planet together so could we say that order and chaos are two extremes of the same totality absolutely what do you think I think that I think that they are two extremes of the same totality. Mm. And you know, we we can probably choose any pairing of polarities and they're all two extremes of the same totality. But in saying that, I I I don't think we can ever be truly perfectly in balance. I, I think we're always dancing between the two. Yeah, I agree. I think it has to be that way. Yeah. If things are in balance, they create an ultimate cancelling out. Mm. And it has no purpose anymore because if there is no imbalance, then one side can not know what it is in relation to the other. Mm. And with my very, very limited intellectual understanding of tantra at the moment and my understanding of the tattvas i understand that that's why shakti is revered so much because the three gunas went out of balance and then everything came into form a lion became a lion and a rock became a rock Mm -hmm. and 
And that is the beauty of the, this place that we exist in is that everything only exists because things went out of balance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I like that idea that that it's almost like from the void there became the first thought and then next to that the other thought existed in order for the first thought to know what it was. Mm. And that creates this ultimate imbalance and mm. it's the whole existence spirals outward from that and at the same time is fractally moving back in towards that ultimate singularity again on the quest to understand what that ultimate imbalance is Mm. it's like we're always on the edge of finding the the ultimate answer to something and then once you get that answer there's another 50,000 questions that leads you onto another path Mm. keeps it fun though yeah but uh, I don't know. Don't you think sometimes people get sick of seeking? Well, they get exhausted. I don't know. What are we actually seeking for? Well, I think there are different levels of practices for, for different mindsets. And I think that's the the beauty of it is that uh, not to put any names on any certain practices or, or beliefs, but I think there are some that kind of have a finality that say this is reality and, you know, this the, the, the creator did this and Earth's here and that's it. You don't have to worry about anything else. And some people are pretty happy with that. They have a practice that says if I do this, then this will happen and then just you just keep going on in the same fashion and everything will be fine. However, there are other practices where there is no end to it once again the two extremes of the same totality i mean and and when does a person start seeking is it when their life is really shit or when their life is really good that's a really good question and but maybe that doesn't even matter because whether your life whether you see your life as really shit or really good ultimately Every person can observe suffering. Mm. And what if it's through the observation of suffering that we all go, hey, what the hell is all of this suffering for? Mm. What is behind all this? What is the purpose of this? Because I think one common thread is that we all want to not suffer Mm. and feel happiness and joy, right? Yeah. We all go about it through different ways, mm. vastly different ways, but I think that's basically the the goal, right? Well, it seems to be the thing that feels the best for most people <laughs> anyway, so it seems to be the thing to go after. <laughs> I think that we can at least agree on that, that there's kind of an innate built me- inbuilt mechanism that you know makes us want to go towards things that feel good. Yeah. So, yeah, I would agree with that. And, and, I, and I think... Uh... Uh, I'm just conscious of the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that what's what I'm really present with right now is that I think if, you know, it is just so easy to judge and criticize other people and the practices that they undertake for their own uh, seeking or expression of truth. Mm. And... I think that I think that we could all probably 
uh, judge less and criticize less yeah. and uh, label less uh, because uh, essentially we are all here kind of, you know, we all want the same thing. Mm. Well, that's what it seems like anyway. We all don't want to suffer. We yeah. all like to feel happiness. And so if we can just, you know, maybe uh, just refrain from judgment and criticism of other people's journeys, mm. whatever their path is, you know, and, um, and, and, and I think that will, that as a, as a starting point will really uh, do a lot for the collective and for yourself too yeah i think that's i think that's good advice yeah Mm. i think um i can't remember who said it but uh resent is like drinking poison and waiting some waiting for someone else to die it must be a well it is a difficult journey to sit there and accuse and and judge other people Mm. because it just fills you with Mm. terrible feelings and, and and I guess if if we were to uh, uh, to maybe sum that up for me anyway, I I think of the word compassion, compassion. I mean, what is compassion? Uh, that compassion is the ability to sit with someone else's darkness while they go through their darkness because you've gone through your own darkness. Mm. And so, even though the experiences may be different of how you got to that sadness, for example, or that grief, the experiences of how you got there is different. So the form is different, but the underlying energy is the same Mm. sadness. And once, once we start to, I think, focus less on the form and understand more of what the underlying energy is, we can become more compassionate towards other people. And, um and 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 in that compassion we are able to um as Pema Chodron so beautifully puts it she talks about it's that compassion that allows us to sit with our shared humanity mm. yeah because we're all essentially here together so we may as well do the best we can yeah to uh be able to uh hold space for each other in that process. And this is why I love this podcast because we're about to have some really amazing people here sharing their views and how they do life. We sure are. We have a long list of people. I hope they all turn up. (laughs) Um, Where can people find out more about you? Uh, My website, Mm maylenejoy.com. M-A-I-L-E-N-J-O-Y. Dot com. com. Mm -hmm. Really easy. You can find out more about me there, uh, about my holistic wellness practice, which consists of holistic counseling and uh, private yoga Mm -hmm. as well. And you can, and I'm on Instagram as well. Excellent. Mainly enjoy on Instagram. Yep. Mainly enjoy on Instagram. How about you? How can people find out more about you and what you do and what you're about? Oh, look, much the same. You can just go to myname.com. That's chrisferris.com. C-H-R-I-S-F-E-H-R-E-S.com. You can also find me with the same name on Instagram, probably on Facebook Mm. as well. Uh, That's where I post all of my 
uh, little bits of information and insight that I think is interesting for me and I hope it can help other people. Mm. I'll be posting articles and all sorts of interesting things as well as the project that I'm working on at the moment, funnily enough, called Continuum, where I'll be talking about all of the uh, really abstract things that I briefly touched on before. I hope I don't scare anyone off with that. And um, if you know, just come along and check it out. I'll let you know when it's available. This podcast is going to keep going for as long as we can get people on to talk about all of the things that make us human and the quest to understand our place in the cosmos. So please like, share, and subscribe. And we will see you next time for the next episode with uh, our very first special guest.